I love a good thunderstorm. Anyone else? I just really love a good thunderstorm. Watching the rain come down, the wind blowing the trees. I have great memories before we had kids who were afraid of thunderstorms of Jeff and I sitting out on the porch just watching storms come in. I love a good thunderstorm. But also, they can be a bit terrifying. I remember another time Walking back from Caitlin, for those who remember Caitlin from last year, she lived about, her and Rachel, both of them, lived about a mile from our house. And I was hanging out with them. I had walked there because, you know, it's a nice mile-long walk. And I had Gemma with me, and I was starting to walk back, and the storm was coming in. And the storm starts to loom, and the sky gets so dark, and it's like I start running, and it starts raining, and Gemma starts crying, and... I was like, what is happening? Because this storm came out of nowhere and it's crazy and it was terrifying. So that's not fun when you feel like you're in the middle of the storm and you feel out of control because storms can be great from the safety of our own home, but also they can be terrifying if we feel like we have no control and we're like in the middle of the storm. So with that, we come to Psalm 29, which Josh just read. And we see at the beginning, the first few verses, if you want to put it up on the screen for me, you see in the first few verses, we see at the beginning, it's a call to worship, a remember, a reminder of the glory of God, to give the glory, ascribed, to ascribe God the glory to his name. That's what I'm trying to say, to proclaim it, to ascribe it, to give it to the Lord. And then followed, following that, we have verses 3 through 10, with a description of God's glory. And this psalm is a doxology, so it's a psalm of praise, a declaration of the praise due God. So that's what this psalm is. But what we see in this second section, the image the psalmist uses is a thunderstorm. It likens God to a thunderstorm, which I think strikes us a bit odd, strikes, pun, storm. Is Jeff should be proud of me. If no one else is, that's okay. Jeff's proud of me. But I think this strikes us a bit odd because we don't want to think of God like a thunderstorm. We want to think of him as like a rainbow in the sky or sunshine or something like happy or, you know, anything other than a thunderstorm. And some of the in imagery in this psalm is beautiful. Looking at the voice of the Lord is majestic. Or the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And this reminds me of Genesis 1.1, God is creator. So some of these terms, some of these descriptions are beautiful. But then we have other images, like where he strikes like lightning, where he breaks the cedars, or he twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. Like, woohoo, that sounds fun. Unnecessary, maybe. And I think... We struggle with this, and to some extent, I think it plays into our fears because it leaves us asking, what if God is like a thunderstorm? What if I can't control God? What if instead of him being like a storm that I watch from the comfort of my own home, what if he's like the storm we're in the middle of trying to run home? And I think these are the questions we sometimes ask when we read through Psalms like this, but maybe we're afraid to ask 
whether we're afraid because someone told us questions are bad or we're afraid because we are afraid to know the answer. Um, I think we have these questions at times. But to better understand this psalm, we need a bit of context. Jeff talked about this last week, what psalms are. Um, They are prayers of people to God. And so sometimes they're really weird. Sometimes there's lots of weird things in it. And the beauty of that is it shows us, like, we have the freedom to be weird, to be honest in our prayers. And that is incredible. So they are prayers to the Lord. They're not necessarily reflections of reality. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. They are prayers to the Lord, giving us the freedom to lament, to be honest with our prayers. So for this psalm, let's look at a bit of context, because the psalmist was actually very intentional in his use of a storm. If you look through the Old Testament, we see other nations with other gods, And to us, this may seem a little bit foreign because, you know, we're not really in our culture. We don't have a ton of like other people worshiping a ton of other gods. That happens other places, but here we don't see that too much. So it might feel a little bit foreign to you. But in the Bible, we see different nations worshiping different gods. And we also see a theme of stories like one that happens in 1 Samuel 5 where the the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's basically where, like, God's glory dwelt. So the Philistines capture it and bring it into their temple by Dagon. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Dagon is how it's spelt. And put the Ark of the Covenant by Dagon, their God. And the next morning, they wake up and they find that their God is, like, laying face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant, basically bowing down. So they put him back where he goes. And the next morning, not only is he laying face down, but his arms and his head have like broken off. And the Philistines are like, oh my goodness, like this, this God is real. Like the Ark of the Covenant, like this is, this is legit stuff. And we see stories like that in the Bible with this theme of God showing that he is greater than other gods, of God showing that he is greater than these man-made idols that like bow down when the Ark of the Covenant is near. And one of these gods that you see throughout the Bible is the God of Baal, the Canaanite God Baal. He shows up a few times, but what we probably don't know without looking into the context is that Baal's voice was said to be heard in thunder. Baal's voice was said to be heard in thunder. So the psalmist, knowing this, because knowing about the nations and their gods around them, speaks directly to this as he ascribes the glory of the Lord as a thunderstorm. And this isn't a new concept, because if you look at the plagues in Egypt, so you know like the Israelites are like going to be set free and God uses Moses and these plagues come. What you may not know is that each plague is a direct attack on an Israelite God. They're not just random plagues that God's like, hmm, what should I do next? No, he is intentionally attacking the hierarchy of gods in Egypt, ending with Pharaoh. It's a great story for another time. Come ask me or Jeff later. Um, But so here in this psalm, the psalmist is speaking directly to this idea of other gods. And one commentator says, 
where in Canaan's myth, sea and river were the opponents of Baal in his battle to gain kingship. In the psalm, the mighty washers in the flood are simply subject to the Lord's power as symbols of his everlasting reign. Like, this is incredible. Not only was Baal's voice said to be heard in the thunder, but it was thought that the rivers and the sea opposed Baal. They fought against Baal. And here the psalmist is saying, no, our God has ultimate control over the storm. Our God is like the storm. The psalmist reminds us that God is God, and he has the control and power that other gods lack. While other gods battle the sea and the storm, God has complete control. So maybe we don't have idols in our day, but the image still stands because God has the control and the power that we and the things we turn to lack. God has the control and power that we lack and the things we turn to lack. And maybe this is still scary, but stay with me for a little bit. I want to connect this to Jesus because we know that the whole Bible points us to Jesus. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 4, which I believe we have on the screen. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. That day when evening came... He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, he being Jesus, in case you weren't aware. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Here, we see Jesus calming the storm. And why is this so significant? Because storms were the ultimate form of power that could not be controlled. In ancient Israel, the storm was totally uncontrollable. So for fishermen being out in the washer with the storm raging, coming out of nowhere, before they had radars, before they had any understanding of how storms existed, it was the ultimate form of power that people had no control over. And then Jesus steps up and calms the storm with a word. He does the impossible. And he shows the disciples and us that he has ultimate power and authority. In this moment, it's a very intentional moment where he is showing us that he is God. Psalm 29 compares God to a storm as a way of saying that he is all-powerful and he is in control more than a storm. And just as the disciples, just like the psalmist, we are faced with the reality that God is who we are not. That he holds the power that we do not. That he can do what we cannot. 
And the disciples' response is fear, which I think is understandable. They just watch this crazy thing happen. But they respond with fear when they realize that this person they're with, Jesus, has ultimate control. But when we talk about fear for ourselves, or maybe you've heard of this idea of the fear of the Lord, which comes up in the Bible, rather than fear in the traditional sense, so sometimes that is the case, rather than fear into the traditional sense, fear of the Lord can be understand, understood as awe, being in awe of who God is and what he can do. I love the song we sang I don't remember which one, but going into the throne room and I bow down because when you are face to face with the glory of God, you can't help but to bow down. We see over and over in the Bible people taking off their shoes because they can't help but do something face to face with the glory and power of who God is. Looking back at Psalm 29, we see that God has the ultimate control, that God can do the impossible, that he can twist the oaks and speak over the waters, and he can calm the storms in his life, the storms in our lives. There's another moment I want to bring up, that moment when Jesus dies on the cross. If you know the story well, you know that he dies, and the sky goes dark for three hours, and the veil is torn. Which if you don't know much about the veil, like that's okay. It was separating the courts from the Holy of Holies. And it was like you couldn't go through there because God's presence was there. But then when Jesus died on the cross, the veil is torn to show us that we have full access to God through Jesus. But there's this incredible, incredible thing so the veil is like huge, it's ginormous, it's super heavy. I was not planning to talk about this, so I don't have all the details about the veil, but it was like really, really big and really, really heavy. But when that veil tore, the impossible happened. It tore, the Bible tells us, it tore from top to bottom. Not just randomly, but because God wanted us to know that it was not done by a human hand. When we had access, God did the impossible, and he tore the veil from top to bottom. I just can imagine the panic that, like, happened in those moments, which is why the soldier standing there was like, dude, you are the son of God. I'm sure dude is what he said. Clearly, I'm off script, but I think you get the point. God can do the impossible. And, you know, today I was stressing about different things and really stressed and like, Jeff, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I felt like the Lord just prompted me and said, remember what you're preaching on tonight? Remember what you're preaching on tonight? And I was like, oh, yeah, you got this. I don't got this. I don't got this. But you've got this. You can do the impossible. You can calm the storm in my life. So my question for you is, what are those storms in your life? What are the areas that feel so out of control, the areas that feel like you are running for home and the storm is going crazy and you just, you need Jesus? Those areas where you long for Jesus to step in and demonstrate his power. And what would it look like if we ascribe to God 
the glory and power that he has, that he deserves, to acknowledge that he is who we are not and he can do what we cannot. How would our community change if we realized, truly realized, that he can do the impossible? And maybe you're here tonight and you're hesitant and this sounds really scary, and that is okay. Let me tell you, that is okay. Because one of the beautiful things about Jesus is he does not force his way into our lives. If you're not sure, if you're not ready, that is okay. He is like, he's knocking. He's not pounding down the door. He's not kicking things in. He's knocking. Because Jesus also describes himself as humble and gentle, meek and mild. Is the actual words. So if you're hesitant, that is okay. But if we are willing to let him in, he wants to come in and calm the storm. So I'm going to look at verse 10 and 11. Um, if you could go back for me to the end of Psalm 29, verse 10 and 11. I believe it's on the next slide. So those last lines there. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And I love this. Because yes, he is all the power. Yes, he is all authority. And yet this psalm that describes himself, describes him, sorry, not written by God, written by David, inspired by God, this psalm that describes God as having the authority of a storm also says the Lord blesses his people with peace. And this is what the Lord wants to do. He's in control. He is all-powerful so we can have peace. So I think the question, what do we do with this? Maybe you're not asking that question, but maybe you are, but I'm going to talk about that anyway. I think the first thing we do is ascribe glory to his name. We praise him for his power, for his majesty. And in just a moment, the worship team is going to come back, and we're going to have an opportunity to do that, to ascribe praise to him. You know, worship changes things. Worship changes things. Not just worship singing, all that. Like, that's part of worship. Worship is beyond that. But worship changes things because it changes us. Like when we sing praise to God, when we genuinely remind God, not that he needs reminding, but when we ascribe to him the glory does do his name, it changes things. It changes us. So I think the second thing, so first we ascribe glory to his name. We praise him for his power. We ask him and trust him to meet us in the storm of our lives. And I know that can be really hard, but it can be so, so beautiful and so, so good. We ask him to meet us in the storm of our lives, which sometimes includes, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? Because I feel totally out of control. How do you want to meet this? How do you want to step in? What do you want to do? What do I need to let go of? Let's go old school. Jesus, take the wheel. Like maybe he's like, let go. Let go of the wheel. God, meet me in the storm of my life. We like to say, Jeff and I like to say, um, 
My search option is exactly where I'm going. This also isn't in my notes. I need to stop saying that. We like to say, God, there's a problem in your ministry. What are you going to do about it? And we're here if you want to use us. And it's, I don't know, that change in mindset changes so much because it acknowledges that he can do it. And God, we're here if you want our help. And then my last thing for anyone who is maybe not ready for either of these steps, and these steps seem like wild ideas that are terrifying, that is okay. I encourage you, even as we sing this next song, to talk to God about it. Tell him that this seems scary. Tell him that you are terrified that he has so much control and power. Because the cool thing is, he doesn't want to, he's not just here trying to like blow things over. He wants to meet you in your fears and in your concerns. So I'm going to ask the worship team or whatever members have been predecided. Um, and I'm just going to say a prayer. And we're going to sing one more song to ascribe glory to his name. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are all-powerful. I thank you that we can look at a psalm that seems a little scary and learn the context and realize the beauty behind it. I thank you that you speak through your word. I thank you that you are in control, that you have control over the things that feel like they're raging around us. I thank you that one word from you can calm a storm. I thank you that you can do the impossible. And right now, God, we want to ascribe glory to your name. We want to praise you for who you are, for what you can do. We want to praise you because you are who we are not, and you do what we cannot do. And at the same time, God, we ask you to step in we ask you to step into the storm of our lives. God, there are problems in our lives. What are you going to do about it? And we're here if you want to use us. I thank you, God, that not only are you all powerful, but that you care deeply for each one of us. I pray that you will meet us all here tonight, whether we are ready to hand the reins over to you or rather we're just a little terrified and not sure what we think i thank you that you are here to meet us where we are amen if you guys want to stand we're gonna sing one more song